Hey, good morning everyone. It's great to be with you today. And um, today the title of my message is Remembrance and Thanksgiving. Remembrance and Thanksgiving. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we just we thank you for this opportunity to learn. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill my heart, mind and mouth with your words. Would you come and equip us, come and teach us. Come and give us your tools and your weapons, Lord, that will help us to walk um, walk more efficiently, to walk in more victory in our lives, to walk more closely to you, we pray uh, in Jesus' name. May you cause the word that goes forth today to take root in our hearts and to bear a hundredfold fruit in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today, like I said, we're going to be discussing, I'm going to be sharing on remembrance and thanksgiving and um, a remembrance and thanksgiving. And I was thinking about it, you know, how should I split them up into separate uh, sermons, into separate messages, but I can't, I can't really split them uh, too much because the one relies on the other. And it's such an honor and a privilege to be able to share this on our 11th year anniversary as a church. And I, and, I, and I know that it's significant. I just know that it's significant. And in our actual service on Sunday morning, um, we will be having some people sharing testimonies of what God has done in their lives. And, and that is a form of remembrance. And it's so important. I'm going to be discussing that uh, shortly. One of the things that I find fascinating is the, in the Bible is looking at the universal wills of God. So those are the wills that God, it's a will that, uh, that God has for us, his people, regardless of who we are, where we are in life, what situation we, we are in. But his will that never changes, his will that is his will for everybody. And one of those wills is thanksgiving. Did you know that? In 1 Thessalonians 5, Verse 16 to 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything, give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And uh, interesting to note there, it doesn't say, for everything, give thanks. I've heard some Christians say that. They say, no, we need to give thanks for everything. No, it's not saying that. We don't have to give thanks for everything. But in everything, God wants us to be able to give thanks and to make a decision to give thanks. Why do we need to do that? Does God need our thanks? No, God doesn't need our thanks. God is perfect. He doesn't need anything from us. Um, yes, I'm sure it blesses his heart when we give thanks, but giving thanks is a key that he's given us. Um, we don't have to do it for him. Um, uh, we need to do it for our own benefit. And, and I'm going to get into that uh, a bit later in my message. Thanksgiving is one of God's universal wills for us. He desires that we give thanks in everything. Um, in James 1 verse 17, a scripture that I really love, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. So everything good in my life, everything good in your life comes from our Father in heaven who doesn't change, who doesn't shift and change. Um, and so if I look at my life, no matter what I'm going through, if you look at your life, no matter what you are going through, God's will is that we look and we find things to give thanks to him because something shifts 
when we begin to give thanks. There's a shift in my heart. There's a shift in my perspective. There's a shift in how I'm seeing things. Two people can be in exactly the same situation and view it completely differently depending on their heart attitude, depending on their level of faith, depending on their where they're at in their spiritual walk with the Lord, how much they trust the Lord. And thanksgiving is a key. It's something that helps to shift us into another level of seeing, into another level of perspective, into another level of faith, into another level of trusting God. So it's actually a key that God has given us to help us to walk in victory. And this scripture about every good and perfect gift coming from our Father in heaven is so important because if we take a step back and we say, okay, Lord, maybe, you know, uh, there's bad things that are happening to me. You know, God is not the author of everything bad and everything evil. God desires that good things come to us. But because we live in a fallen world, sometimes uh, bad things happen to good people. Sometimes people get sick. People can get cancer. People can have accidents. We can lose loved ones. Bad things do happen. But in that place, we need to bring ourselves um, in discipline to a place of saying, you know what, what are the good things that I can see around me? What are some of those good things? Let me begin to give thanks to my Father in heaven because it shifts us at a heart and in our heart space. And, and the thing is that giving thanks to God and obeying this command that we are to give thanks in all things requires that we remember. Because if I'm going to give thanks to my Father in heaven, I have to think about what has God actually done for me? How has He revealed Himself to me? What are the things that, how has He shown Himself? What are the things that He's done for me recently or done that I want to thank Him for? So remembrance and thanksgiving are totally inseparable. You can't separate the two. If I'm to truly give thanks from my heart, sincerely and honestly, it requires that I remember. And um, in Psalm 105, verse 1 to 5, it depicts this quite beautifully. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make His make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing psalms to Him. Talk of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face forevermore. Remember His marvelous works which He has done. His wonders and the judgments of His mouth. So you can see here that this portion of Scripture begins with, a instruct, with an instruction to give thanks. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. That's how it begins. How does this portion of Scripture end? Remember His marvelous works. In order to give thanks, I need to remember His marvelous works. Psalm 75 verse 1 says, We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your wondrous works. Declare that your name is near. So His wondrous works and giving thanks they, they, they are inseparable. And you see, the thing about His wondrous works, His miracles, the things that God has done, they declare His name, they declare who He is, they declare His person, they remind us that He is near, and we need to give thanks for that. Psalm 107 verse 8 says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of of men. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. So giving thanks, what are we giving thanks? We're giving thanks for His wonderful works. His giving thanks for His works requires that I remember His wonderful works. So for example, giving thanks 
right in, in this situation i can say okay lord you know what it's our 11th anniversary as a church father i just want to thank you lord god we started off this started off as a dream from you and it grew to 10 people and from 10 people it grew lord god to more to volunteers father i want to thank you for every volunteer that you brought through this church I want to thank you for every person every gift every talent every bit of time that has been sown into uh, making this church a reality lord god I want to thank you for how you've provided miraculously lord god time and time again financially for us you've provided open doors for us lord god you've provided the skills when we've needed them and and so on and so on and so forth what am i doing i'm remembering the things that he's done the breakthroughs that he's given us and i'm giving him thanks for that if i take it to my personal life you know say someone is struggling with an infirmity or with an, a sickness I can identify with that, struggling with an injury, struggling with something. They actually told me at a certain point that I would never run again in my life. And so I can say, you know what, Lord, I really want to thank you that even when I had that injury um, from playing cello in my neck and I had that injury and they told me I'd never run again. Father, I was devastated, but Lord God, you led me. You led me to start swimming. You led me to do, to do cross training, Lord God, and you, over a period of time, you strengthened me and you now have enabled me to be able to run. Lord God, you get the glory and I give you thanks for my healing. I give you thanks for this restoration i give you thanks lord god for the for your goodness that i see on my life i give you thanks father that you even took me to overseas competitions to compete in a sport that i love and it's from your goodness lord god because you are a good god you're a father from whom every good and perfect gift comes and i give you thanks for this lord god and i give you thanks for the miracles that are yet to come can you see that looking back at what God has done, it begins to build faith in our hearts in terms of where what he can do in the future. And that's one of the beautiful things about giving thanks and remembrance. As I'm thinking, as I'm remembering what God has done and I'm giving thanks to him, faith starts to build and I start looking forward into my life, into the journey ahead. And I have faith that is building, that is helping me to see through the eyes of faith. There's a boldness that's rising. There's a courage that's rising. There's a can-do attitude that's rising in me. So thanksgiving and remembrance is so important for us as Christians. Now, I've entitled my message Remembrance and Thanksgiving because I'm going to start by looking at remembrance and the importance of remembrance and some examples that we can learn from um, in the Bible. And then from there, we're going to look at uh, some, some dynamics around Thanksgiving and some interesting things to encourage us in our Thanksgiving. So let's begin by looking at remembrance. Some of you will have heard me quote this particular gentleman, Frederick Buechner, um, uh, on remembrance. He has a, he's written uh, extensively and has a book of uh, uncollected pieces. And one of his essays in there is called A Room Called Remember. And, and I'm going to read it to you. It's a beautiful picture of remembrance, um, quite poignant. And yeah, let me, let, me, let me read it to you. He's recalling a dream that he had concerning remembrance. And he says, I dreamt that I was staying in a hotel room that I loved. I no longer have any clear picture of what the room looked like. And even in the dream itself, I think it wasn't so much the way the room looked that pleased me 
as it was the way it made me feel. It was a room where I felt happy, I felt at peace, where everything seemed the way it should be and everything about myself seemed the way it should too. Then as the dream went on, I wandered off to other places and did other things and finally, after many adventures, ended back at the same hotel again. Only this time I was given a different room which I didn't feel comfortable in at all. It seemed dark and cramped and I felt dark and cramped in it. So I made my way down to the man at the desk and told him my problem. On my earlier visit I said I'd had this marvelous room which was just right for me in every way, which I'd very much like, if possible, to have again. The trouble, I explained, was that I hadn't kept track of where the room was and I didn't know how to find it or how to ask for it. The, the clerk was very understanding. He said he knew exactly the room I meant and that I could have it again any time I wanted. All I had to do, he said, was ask for it by its name. So then, of course, I asked him what the name of the room was. He would be happy to tell me, he said, and then he told me. The name of the room, he said, was Remember. Remember, he said. The name of the room I wanted was Remember. That was what woke me. It shocked me awake. It was a dream that seemed true not only for me, but true for everybody. And then he says this, and this is so... This, this is really powerful. He says, there is a deeper need yet, I think, not all of the time, surely, but from time to time, to enter that still room within us where all the past lives on as part of the present. The name of the room is remember. The room where with patience, with clarity, with quietness of heart, we remember consciously to remember. There's a deeper need yet, I think, not all the time, but from time to time, to enter that still room within us where all the past lives on as part of the present. The name of the room is remember. The room where with patience, with clarity, with quietness of heart, we remember consciously to remember. So we have to remember consciously to remember. And something about remembering brings us into that place of peace. It's when we look forward into the adventures that we're about to go into, there's a sense of peace. There's a sense of, yes, because when I remember and I give thanks, His peace guards my heart and my mind. We're going to look at that just now from Philippians. And there's a sense of faith in my heart. And there's a sense of God with me. The same God who was with me before is the God who will go with me. There's, it feels right. It's not harsh or hard or sharp or pressing. It's going to be okay. And that I just love that it's a room called remember. Remembrance is so key as we remember what God has done as we remember rightly. And um, so there's power in remembering and remembering correctly. Our hearts become grateful. Our perspective is corrected. Faith begins to rise in our hearts as we remember what God has done, who He has been to us, how faithful He has been, the miracles He's done, the breakthroughs that He's given us, the, 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 the provision that He's provided for us. And as we look ahead, even though it may look impossible, we have an assurance, we have a peace, we have a perspective, we have a strength, we have a courage to press on. And that is the power of remembrance and thanksgiving. This is why it is so key for us. I think it's a forgotten key in the body of Christ. I think it's something that we don't do enough. And um, for those of you who attend Zoom prayer meetings, you know that we always start with a time of thanksgiving. We come before Him with thanksgiving. I think it's such an important discipline to have 
as people who pray, when we come to pray, we're going to come with thanksgiving. If I'm going to come with thanksgiving, I have to remember what God has done. Such an important discipline and a lost art, I think. So I thank God that he's restoring this to us in this season. Now, I'm wanting to look briefly at the children of Israel and, um, and learn from them. You know, we can learn from other people. We can learn from accounts in the Bible, what they did, where they went wrong. Uh, so we don't have to make the same mistakes. So we don't have to trip up and face the consequence that, consequences that they had to face because of their disobedience or because of their foolishness. And so I, I just, I love looking at the children of Israel as an example of this. And, and you know what? If I was in their shoes, you know, who's to say I'm any better than them and I would have done it any differently. But the fact is that we're reading about them and we can learn from them. So I'm going to pick up um, the account of the children of Israel and their deliverance from Egypt and from Pharaoh in Exodus 13 verse 3. And remember, you know, this, this place, place where I'm picking up this account. The Israelites have been oppressed by the Egyptians. They've been in bondage. They've been in slavery for hundreds of years. And Pastor Stewart preached on a, a bit, touched a bit on that last week. Um, but they've been in bondage. They've been in slavery for hundreds of years. They've been crying out to God to send a deliverer, to deliver them from this. And he does it. He finally raises up Moses and uses Moses to deliver his people. And, um, uh, and, and Moses is, is leading the people out of Egypt. And this is what the Lord says to the children of Israel as he's delivering them um, through Moses. Moses says to the people, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. That's Exodus 13 verse 3. So Moses says to them, guys, listen up. This is important. Remember this day remember remember that the lord has brought you out by the strength of his hand okay great it sounds simple i'm sure they were like cool we'll remember moses you know in the middle of all these celebrations and everything you know when we're in the midst of a deliverance when we're in the midst of a breakthrough we're like cool of course we'll remember we'll always remember this who says how can we ever forget this you know i'm sure that's how they felt they felt um too but then reading on we see in exodus 13 verse 17 to 18 um, that Pharaoh lets the people go and it says that God does, doesn't lead his children by the way of the Philistines although that was near because God says perhaps the people will change their minds when they see war and they'll return to Egypt so God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea so already here we can see that God knows his children he knows that when the people see the land of the Philistines and they see the war, they're going to forget who brought them out. They're going to forget their God and they're going to turn around and go back to slavery and back to Egypt. So God already knows that his people are probably going to forget what he's done. And he says, okay, you know what? I know they're probably going to forget. Let me lead them around the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And, and that's the way that his children went out. And we pick it up, Exodus 13, verse 21 to 22. We see that God went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, by night in a pillar of fire. And he didn't take these away from before the people. So the people have been delivered from Egypt. That's a massive miracle. Remember, they've been crying out for this deliverance for hundreds of years. Massive 
delivering massive miracle. Then the people are being led through the wilderness by a, a pillar of cloud in the daytime, a pillar of fire by night. That is a miracle constantly before them in front of their eyes. Okay, so they're living in a miracle, a massive miracle. Okay, we see in Exodus 14, not too far away from, from, from what, I, what I've been reading now, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel. They must turn and camp before Pi Hairoth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered. They have lost their minds. The wilderness has closed them in. And then the Lord said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. So here we can see that God has a strategy saying, Moses, speak to the children of Israel. I want them to camp over here, between there, between there, although it looks in the natural like foolishness, although it looks like a very weak place to camp, um, you, you, you won't be protected. You'll be easy targets by Pharaoh. You'll be hemmed in. There'll be, there'll be no way of escape. Um, but that's where I want my children to camp because I want to gain honor over Pharaoh. And uh, he probably knew that if there was any other way of escape, his children would have, would have run. They wouldn't have trusted him. Okay, So they're hemmed in there. And he's already got a strategy. And we heard last week in the message that God loves to choose the foolish things of the world to show his glory and to show and, and the weak things of the world to show his strength because then he gets the glory because definitely no man can get the glory. And that's just was what, what was going to happen here. So as, as we can predict, the, the Egyptians pursued them as, as the Lord said they would. Pharaoh wanted to pursue the Israelites. They were trapped. And it says in Exodus 14, if you read from 9 to 11, when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were coming after them. So the Israelites were very afraid and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt so with us to bring us up out of Egypt? They're basically saying, Moses, we're going to die. What has happened? They forgot the Lord. Remember I said that they're living in the miraculous. They, God has literally just delivered them out of hundreds of years of bondage. They've seen the miracle before their eyes during the day, the pillar of, of, uh, of fire by night, the, cl the, the, the cloud by day. So they've got a miracle right in front of their eyes and still they didn't remember. They were instructed, instructed to remember, but they didn't remember the Lord. And it brought them into a place of fear and terror and they weren't in faith. Okay, so we see there that the children of Israel, they forgot so quickly. They were instructed to remember, yet they forgot the Lord their God. Why did God instruct them to remember? Because he wanted them to remain in a place of faith. He wanted them to remain in a place of peace, a place of trusting God. And because they forgot about God, because they took their eyes off him, they placed it on their flesh and their own strength and their own ability to deliver themselves, they moved into a place of fear. And I love what Moses says, Exodus 14, verse 13 to 14. Moses says to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. I love Moses, you know, I think he had such a hard job leading all those, you know, Israelites. 
so, so many Israelites. Anyway, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And I love the difference that I see in the dialogue when the children of Israel are speaking. There's no mention of the Lord. You know, when Moses is speaking, his eyes are completely on the Lord and what the Lord, what the Lord will do. And we see in Exodus 14, verse 30 to 31, it says, So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And you see, when they see the miracle right in front of them, it says, then they fear the Lord and they believe the Lord. When they see it right in front of them at that moment, in that time. But don't you just wish that they could carry that, they could like bottle it in their hearts and keep it with them. And I'm sure that God feels like this about us. Guys, can't you just capture that feeling of of you know when we grateful when we fear the lord when we seeing his salvation right in front of our eyes when we seeing his miracle you capture that and keep it in our hearts so we don't forget it you know will be awesome how easily the israelites were swayed how quickly they seemed to vacillate from fearing their their enemies pharaoh in this instance to fearing the lord and and we shall see they continued to swing from one extreme to the other and, and it's so interesting, I don't have the, the time in this message, but if you go and you revisit the, the history, the account of the Israelites, you'll see this. And, and uh, you'll see it again, how, you know, they would believe God when they saw his miracle. And then a few days later, something would happen and they would lose faith. Their eyes would go off God. They would forget what God had done, what God could do. And they would move into disbelief and be wishing to be back in Egypt in slavery. Um, and oh Lord, may that not be us, right? May we not have hearts like that, swinging from one extreme to the other all the time. And it seems that remembrance held a key for them. It seems like remembrance holds a key for us in terms of keeping our hearts and our minds in the right place. And I, I find it very interesting what Deuteronomy 7 verse 17 to 19 says. It says, if you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I. How can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw, the signs and the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. What is this about? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what God did to Pharaoh. God is saying, you know what? If you say in your heart, this promised land, the enemies in my promised land are too big for me. How can I take them on? How can I dispossess them? How can I take them on? How possibly can I gain victory? The Lord says to you, don't be afraid of them, but remember what I've done for you. Previously, in your previous victories, he says to the Israelites, remember what God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, because that's what I'm going to do to the enemies that you see in your, in your promised land. So what the things that God has done for us, we need to remember that. Remember well what God has done. Remember well the victories that he's given us, because the same things that he's done and more, he's well able to do as we go into take our promised land. Amen. 
So remembrance is key to overcome fear. That's what the scripture was talking about. Remembrance is key to overcome fear. Remembrance is key to walking in faith. Remembrance is key to overcoming and walking in victory. That's why I love Revelation 12 verse 11. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. There's something about remembrance that holds a key for us in terms of victory. There's something about our testimony and sharing our testimony and sharing what God has done for us, sharing the miracles that he's done that helps us overcome. And you know what? As I share what God has done in my life, it doesn't only build my faith. It builds your faith. It builds her faith and his faith. It builds their faith. It builds the faith of the body of Christ. So remembering and sharing our testimonies is so important. And I just want to briefly go back and and look at a little bit more of the Israelites' history in terms of this. So now, remember, God has done a great miracle. He's delivered them out of Egypt after they'd been in bondage for hundreds of years. He's delivered them from Pharaoh in the Red Sea crossing. He's They've seen a pillar of fire by night, cloud by day. So the Israelites, these guys have seen miracles. They really have seen miracles. Three days, three days after crossing the Red Sea. Exodus 15 verse 22 to 24. Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur. They were three days in the wilderness and they found no water. Now when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara for they were bitter. The name of the, the, uh, therefore the name of it was called Mara. It says, and the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And I'm sure when it says the people complained saying, what shall we drink? They didn't only say, what shall we drink? They complained. They complained. Their eyes were on Moses, not on God. What are we going to drink? Well, so you've brought us here. What are we going to die of thirst, Mo? Are we going to die? What are you going to do for us now? Where, you know, where's, what are we supposed to do? Our, ki- our kids, our, you know, what are we going to they were complaining. They'd forgotten so quickly the same God who'd just given them deliverances three days prior. And you know, we do that too. Sometimes the flesh speaks very loudly to us. Sometimes our fleshly desires and needs speak more loudly than that voice of remembrance, than that voice of faith, than that voice of thanksgiving. And we need to temper the, the, the equalizer so that our, our fleshly desires don't overpower the other, the other, vo- the other good voices in our, in, our, in our hearts, giving thanks, remembering, and, and focusing on the Lord. And um, so basically what we see here is when the people complain that the Lord then brings the people to a place called Elam where there were 12 wells of water. They camped there for a while. They had water. So, so we see yeah, that God has actually provided for the people. He's given them miracles. And so surely we think, surely the people will remember God now. Surely they will trust that he will complete what he has begun. You know, and it says um, in, in Exodus 16, it says they journeyed from Elam, you know, from where there were those 12 wells of water. They journeyed from Elam and the con- congregation of the chil- children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And it says, and the whole congregation, 
not half, not a quarter, not a few. The whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And they said, oh, Moses, Aaron, that we had died. We wish that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. What are they thinking? We wish that we died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meats, when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. What are they doing? They're yielding to their fleshly desires. They've completely forgotten the Lord their God who brought them out to did miracles. Their minds are completely not on trusting God, on remembering what he has done. Their minds are on their bellies and they're complaining. They've forgotten God. It really didn't take them long to forget and to lose perspective. I mean, that is a massive loss of perspective to wish that they had died in Egypt. To wish that they died there because they, the, the, they had meat and their tummies were full. They cried out for hundreds of years to be delivered. Now they're wishing that they're back in Egypt because their tummies were full. They want to be in slavery. No. They're not remembering rightly. They've lost perspective. And that's the thing. When we don't remember, we can lose perspective so easily, especially if our flesh, we allow our flesh to speak loudly. And um, often it happens that our immediate fleshly desires can easily cause us to lose uh, perspective if we don't focus on remembering and keeping the main thing, the main thing. So, that, so, so, so basically at this point, they're crying out, they're hungry. So God being God, he's so good. He's a good father. He says, okay, and he provides manna for his people. That means every day the guys can eat. They can eat every day. They collect it for six of seven days. On, this, on, the, on the sixth day, they collect for the seventh day. They have food every day. They don't have to work for it. All they have to do is collect it. And free food every day, a miracle every day before them. What happens next? Surely this will cause them to remain in a place of faith. They've got another miracle right before their eyes. Okay, to help them to remember the Lord their God. So interesting how they how they viewed this, because um, now they've got food, and it says in in Exodus seventeen verse one to three. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of Sin, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. So what did they do? Did they remember the Lord their God? No, it says, therefore the people contended with Moses and said, give us water. We want water. And Moses says, why do you contend with me? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained again against Moses and said, why is it you brought us up out of Egypt? It was an answer to their prayer. Why is it that you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? They've forgotten so quickly. You know, they've forgotten so quickly, so easily moving into complaining, so easily moving into a place of flesh, so easily forgetting who God is and the miracles that he's done. And you know what? We do this as well in our own lives. God gives us a miracle today. Tomorrow we're faced with the next challenge. We, are, we forget what he did and we focused on this challenge and we start crying, Oh Lord, what am I going to do? Where are you? I can't feel you. I can't see you. And he's saying, Remember. Remember what I did. Remember what I did yesterday. I'm the same God today as I was yesterday. Remember and give thanks and get your perspective right. It'll help you to move, to step up into a place of faith and then watch and see what I will do. But so often we remain in that place. We're complaining. Oh Lord, what have you done? Oh Lord, what, what's going to happen to me? That's what the children of Israel were doing. They forgot. They forgot the Lord so quickly. 
And um, something else that I find so interesting about the children of Israel um, is, you know, the, the manner that God gave them was in response to their, their desire for food. And it was a miracle, you know, but even their attitude towards manna, they didn't remember that it was a miracle, that it's the goodness of God. Their attitude changed towards us. In Numbers 11, we see this. He said, they say, remember the fish which we ate in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. What are they saying? They've got freedom. The Lord has taken them on a journey to the promised land. They're complaining because they don't have melons and leeks and fish. Can you imagine? And we do that too. Okay? They forgot the Lord their God. So they're complaining because all they've got is this manna, this miracle that happens each day. You know, they've grown accustomed to it. They've grown familiar with it. They're not grateful for it anymore. Um, so the people basically were craving meat and they wanted meat. And so they complain against Moses and Moses in Numbers 11, 13 says, Where am I to get meat to feed all these people? They weep all over me saying, Give us meat that we may eat. They were now complaining because they wanted meat. And the Lord actually um, gives them over to their desires. And this is, the, this is a scary thing for me because they wanted meat and God gave them over to that desire even though it made them sick and some of them died. In Numbers 11, Verse 18 to 20, um, the Lord instructs Moses and says, Say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? It was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, not two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, Why did we ever come up out of Egypt? They forgot. They forgot. And the Lord says, Okay, I'll give you over to your desires. And it's going to be loathsome for you. So sometimes God gives us the thing we ask for, the thing we want, but the thing we get, the thing we wanted and the thing we get is not really what we wanted at all. Okay. Numbers 11 verse 31 to 34, we see that God sent a wind and it brought quail from the sea and um, it left the quail fluttering about a day's journey from the camp. And the people stayed up all day and all night and all the next day and they gathered quail um, and while it says, while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that place Kibroth Hatlavah, I don't know how to say that, because there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. So you see that it's so important that we don't allow our fleshly craving and our fleshly fears and our emotions to overcome that discipline of remembering, of giving thanks, of keeping the word before us, of keeping God before us. If we don't squash our emotions and our cravings and our needs and, and all those things, but we, always, we have to just turn down the volume so that we can keep remembering, keep giving thanks, keep, keep our perspective right. And, and so remembrance is key to perspective. It, keep, it keeps us from yielding to the flesh. Remembrance is key to thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is God's will for us. And thanksgiving is a key to keeping our hearts. 
So I wanted to touch briefly on the Israelites and um, God's instruction to them uh, regarding remembrance and how they continually seemed to trip up in this area, um, forgetting so quickly, even though, though they were living in a miracle. And I'm wanting to use that and apply, for us to apply it in our lives. We see the hand of God. We see his miracles. And um, it's important that we document them, that we remember them because they will be weapons for us to build our faith tomorrow when we face our, our next challenge. So that's looking at remembrance. I've touched on remembrance. Now I want to talk a bit about thanksgiving. Remember I said at the beginning I'm going to talk on remembrance and then thanksgiving. So I want to talk a bit about thanksgiving now. Um, we remember so that we can give thanks. Um, and look at a few scriptures and a few, um, a few points around Thanksgiving. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. See, this is the first um, dynamic I'm wanting to look at regarding thanksgiving. It brings us into the presence of our King. Some things about thanksgiving, there's something about thanksgiving that brings us into the presence of our king that is one of the reasons that i love to start our zoom prayer meetings in thanksgiving before we've even begun our shopping list before we've begun gone to ask god to do this or to do that or to touch these people or to do that whatever we come into his presence with thanksgiving thank you lord we thank him for what he's done Thank you, Lord God, for the shoes on my feet, the food in my belly. Thank you, Lord, for the roof over my head. Thank you, Father, for my husband and children, for relationships, for friendships. Thank you, Lord God, for those I train with. Thank you for my family, that my parents are still alive and they're close by. Thank you, Father, for the schools that my children go to. Thank you for their friends. Thank you, Lord God, for those people in our church, for our volunteers. Thank you, Lord God, for the word that, that you speak to our hearts week in and week out. Thank you, Father, for continuing to provide for us, Lord, financially, spiritually, Lord God, emotionally, um, for our souls, Lord God. Thank you for your good. There's so many things that we can thank him for. And as we begin to thank, give thanks, just brings us into his presence, just brings us straight into his presence. So thanksgiving is powerful that way. The second dynamic around thanksgiving that I'm wanting to mention is that it has a multiplier effect. Thanksgiving has a multiplier effect. What do I mean by that? Um, how many of you have noticed, have observed that when you thank somebody for something about them, maybe they did something for you, or maybe an attitude, or just something you appreciate about them, it seems that they, you get more of that from them. It just, it just happens. I mean, my husband will often say when he appreciates someone or something about someone, not even necessarily to their face, it's like in the next few days, he will see something from that person. He will see something in that area that comes to him. It's just a dynamic that he's observed. And um, when you thank your spouse, when you thank your friends for certain things, for certain aspects of them, what happens? You end up getting more of that from them. It just, it's, it's a dynamic. And uh, an interesting example of this um, in a different way, I guess, is in Matthew 15, verse 36 to 37, when Jesus wants to feed this great multitude of people and he takes seven loaves and the fish 
and he gives thanks. It says, uh, verse 36 to 37, he took the loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them, gave them his, to his disciples, and the disciples gave the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. What happened there? He took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks. Then, as he was breaking it in his hands, it just multiplied, okay? The, the miracle wasn't just in the giving thanks, but the giving of thanks had something to do with the miracle. There was faith involved as well, but something about thanksgiving, when we give thanks, when we give thanks and faith, something about that has a multiplier effect. It's just a spiritual dynamic. The third thing that I'm wanting to mention around thanksgiving is that thanksgiving unlocks new dimensions of healing. We see this in Luke 17, verse 11 to 19. This is the account of um, Jesus as he's passing through Samaria and or Samaria and going to Galilee. And he enters a village and he meets 10 men who were lepers. And they stood far from him and they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. He said that because the priest was the one who will declare them to be clean and, and to not have leprosy anymore. And so it was as they went that they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned. One out of ten returned to Jesus, glorifying God, fell on his face uh, at Jesus' feet and gave him thanks. And he was a Samaritan, interestingly enough. And Jesus answered, Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? So giving thanks it's part of giving glory to God. And he said to him, Arise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And some people, uh, in talking about the, uh, in, uh, the original language of, uh, of that, your faith has made you well, um, talking about another dimension of healing, basically say that that one particular leper didn't only receive physical healing, but spiritual healing as well. He received salvation. So his thanksgiving unlocked for him another level of healing. It unlocked his salvation, his spiritual healing. So something about thanksgiving unlocks another dimension of healing for us. The fourth um, dynamic around thanksgiving that I'm wanting to bring to our attention is it brings life where there has been death. Something about thanksgiving brings life where there has been death. And in John, we'll see this in John 11, verse 39 to 44. And this is the account of uh, Martha uh, waiting, waiting and waiting and waiting for Jesus to come because Lazarus, her brother, has died. And um, Jesus arrives and in their eyes, in Martha's eyes, in, in Mary's eyes, Jesus has arrived days late because Lazarus has been dead for days now. And Jesus arrives and says, take away the stone. And, and Martha actually says, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus responds and says, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone, and Lazarus was dead, and he was lying there. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you have sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave cloths, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. 
And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. So something about thanksgiving brings life where there has been death. What did Jesus do when he prayed? He just says, Father, thank you that you have heard me. He'd probably been praying already um, concerning this. He'd probably prayed concerning Lazarus being raised from the dead. And he just says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Thank you. Something about thanksgiving brings forth that answer to prayer, brings forth life. You know, so powerful. The fifth thing is that, um, the fifth dynamic I'm wanting to touch on around Thanksgiving is that it results in God's peace. And most of us are so familiar with the scripture. And I love the scripture from Philippians 4 verse 4 to 7. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So thanksgiving is meant to be a part of all of our prayers, with thanksgiving. And when we put the thanksgiving there, what happens? The peace of God, which passes understanding, guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When I'm giving thanks, what am I doing? It's changing my perspective. It's helping me to focus on God, my God. And, and as I do that, it brings me into a place of peace. So something about thanksgiving results in God's peace. The sixth thing is that it helps us to see. It helps us to see a right. It helps us to have the right perspective. Jeremiah 17 verse, first, verse 5 to 8 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit a, the parched places in the wilderness in a land which is not a salt land, uninhabited. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its root by the river, will not fear when heat comes, its leaf will be green, will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Now you might say to me, what on earth does that scripture have uh, to do with seeing? Well, it has everything to do with seeing because we see here that, excuse the pun, that cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. He shall not see when the good comes. Now, you've got one man who's trusting in flesh and he can't see the good when it comes and he's dwelling in a parched land. You've got another man dwelling in exactly the same situation who's trusting in the Lord. He is blessed and he will not fear when heat comes and he will not be anxious in the year of drought. Why? Because he can see the good when it comes. He, he's living in a place of faith and he won't cease from yielding fruit no matter what situation he's in, because he's trusting in the Lord. You see, when we remember, when we're living in a place of remembrance and thanksgiving, we're continually remembering what God has done, remembering who he is, how he's revealed himself to us. And as we're looking at our circumstances, we're like, huh, God did that. He's well able to do this. God did that. He can do this. Thank you, Lord, that you are A and B and C and D and you're well able to. But if we, that man who's trusting in our own flesh, we become like the Israelites, who are we? Who are we? We're looking at our enemies and thinking, we, Lord, why are we here? We can't do anything against these great big enemies. Why did you bring us here, Moses? We're going to die. Can you see that? We can't see. 
our perspective is not correct. We want to be back in Egypt where we had tummies full of meat. We want to be... No, you're not seeing a right. You can't see the good. You can't see that God has got you on a journey. He's taking you into the promised land. What he's begun back there, he's going to complete and you will get the victory and you'll have your promised land. Can't see that. So thanksgiving is so key in terms of helping us to see, in terms of giving us perspective, in terms of helping us to trust in the Lord, which helps us to live in God's abundant blessing, Jeremiah 17 shows us. And you know, Psalm 100 verse 3 to 4 it says, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, not we ourselves. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Therefore, enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. You see, thanksgiving helps us to acknowledge that we are not self-made. We are not self-made. We belong to Him. Every good thing has come from him it helps us to trust him to lift our eyes to him which brings us into a place of faith when we know that the lord he is god it is he who has made us i'm not i don't need to trust in my own flesh and my own strength and my own wisdom and my own ability only no i can trust in the lord and he will work it through me he will work it in my situation and i'm looking at god because he's the one who's brought me here and he's going to finish what he started in me amen you know, um, when the Israelites had crossed the wilderness and they'd come to the edge of the promised land and God was going to take them into the promised land and, and they sent the 12 spies into the land to explore the land and the, the 12 spies came back to report what they had seen. 10 spies that had gone, they saw the same land. These 10 spies and the two spies, okay, because there were 12 that went in. Ten spies were grasshoppers in their own eyes. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb, believed that the Israelites were well able to take the land. Who do you think was most likely remembering what God had done? Who do you think was in a place of gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord? Who do you think was in a place of faith? Who do you think? Who do you think was remembering? Of course, Caleb and Joshua. And it's so interesting if you read um, what it says in Numbers 13, verse 25 to 33. I'm going to skim through it. They returned from spying out the land and um, all the congregation of the children of Israel and, and Moses and Aaron, they came back to them and they brought word back to them and um, they showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, we went to the land you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. We saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So what are they saying? The land is awesome, but the enemies, you know, and Caleb quieted the people and said, Let us go and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, No, we are not able to go up against the people. They are stronger than we. And those ten spies gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. 
and all the people we saw in it are men of great stature. We saw the giants and, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so were we in their sight. Can you see what's happening? These ten spies have taken their eyes off their God and they're looking to their own strength. Jeremiah 17, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh and strength. They were looking at their own strength. What was the difference? Caleb and Joshua were not looking to their own strength. They were looking to the Lord. They're saying, you know what, this, our God is able to. They're remembering what God did and they're like, no, it doesn't matter the size of the enemies. Remember, remember Pharaoh, remember the Egyptians. doesn't matter the size of our enemies. Our, the same God who delivered us, he's the God who can give us our promised land. And we see in Numbers 14, verse 1 to 4, all the congregation, when we heard the 10 spies and their report, you know, their negative report, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in Egypt, if only we had died in this wilderness, why has God brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's select a leader and return to Egypt. They've completely lost perspective. They've completely forgotten who their God was, what God has done, the miracles that he's done. And if they could remember that, they would have the faith to enter into the promised land. They'd lost perspective. They'd lost faith. They were trusting in their own flesh and not in God. They couldn't see correctly. They'd lost heart. Listen to Joshua and Caleb's report. Joshua, the son of Nun and Caleb who were, uh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying, the land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Can you see? It sounds like they're describing a totally different situation, but they're not. The difference is that they're seeing it correctly. Jeremiah 17, they can see the good because they're trusting in God. They're remembering what God has done and they have the right perspective and their hearts are filled with faith and with courage. And the tragic, tragic thing is, even though these two, their hearts were filled with faith and they had the right perspective, they still had to turn around with the rest of the children of Israel and head back into the wilderness for 40 years or so until everybody's hearts were filled with faith before they could enter into the promised land. So they suffered on account of everybody else who wasn't in a place of faith. And I think it happens today in churches too. When you have a few people in faith and a large portion of, the, of, of people grumbling and complaining, we, we don't quite enter into the place that God has for us as quickly as he wants us to because he wants us to all go in together in our families and our whatever groups you're a part of you know let's make sure that we part of the faithfuls Joshua and Caleb group let's make sure that we part of that group that's remembering what God has done that's in a place of thanksgiving in a place of remembrance in a place of trusting God that the same God who brought us through is the same God who's with us is the same God who's going to do miracles and bring breakthroughs in our lives amen so in conclusion I'm going to conclude my message now 
God commanded the children of Israel to remember his deeds, to remember what he had done. He knew that they would need to do this to help themselves remain in faith and not in fear. They needed this to help keep perspective. And we see that many times they didn't remember and they paid the price for it. They paid the price for it. The children of Israel did not enter into their promised land as quickly as God desired them to because they didn't maintain their hearts in a place of remembrance and thanksgiving and faith. And in fact, some of them died in the wilderness because of it and they didn't see the promised land. Okay? So we can learn from history. We can learn from this account and learn from their mistakes. So let's learn, from, let's do that. Remembrance is a powerful tool that we need to use as we build a culture of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is important. Thanksgiving is, is part of God's universal will for all of us. So there's something about thanksgiving that brings us into the presence of our king. Something about thanksgiving multiplies what's in our hands. It unlocks a new dimension of healing. It brings life where there's been death. Thanksgiving creates a God of peace around our hearts, around our minds, and it helps us to have perspective, to see rightly, and to trust in the Lord. So let's endeavor to remember and to create a culture of thanksgiving in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our congregations, in our workplaces, in the groups that we're a part of and we can influence, in our, in our, and especially in our personal prayer lives. Let's create that culture of thanksgiving, create that culture of remembrance. Let's be a people of faith, a people who can enter into whatever God has for us to enter into this next season. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord God, for every word that has gone forth right now from my mouth. I pray for those who have heard my voice, Lord, who've heard this message. I ask for a grace for us, Lord God, to step into a new dimension of remembrance, to step into a new dimension of thanksgiving, Lord God. And I pray that you would help us to enter into a new dimension of faith and belief and courage, Lord God, fortitude, strength in our inner man, belief, Lord God. We pray today that you would uh, give us your perspective on situations, Lord God. Really help us to be your people of faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.